Good morning. Welcome again, and thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we really do appreciate, we know that you guys make a choice every single Sunday morning to do something. And there are a lot of positive things that you could do uh, here in America on a Sunday morning. But we believe with all our hearts that the best place you can be if you're a believer is somewhere when someone is trying to take you a little bit closer to Jesus to celebrate all that he's done, all that he's doing, all he's going to be doing in, in the future and his return that's coming and to help you become a more fully devoted and fully equipped disciple of him. That's what we're all about. So you got yourself here and one more time, good job and thank you. We appreciate that. Today we're wrapping up a series called Authentic Faith the Church, and we've been walking together through uh, some of the basic things that make a gathering a church. In, in scripture, we looked several weeks ago that the Greek word we translate church actually just means gathering. It means a bunch of people together. But it's so much more than that. It's, it's absolutely all about are we, going, are we defining everything that we do by the standards that Jesus gives us. And expectations make a huge difference. What we think we're doing really makes a difference in what actually ends up getting done. I'd like to tell you a funny story about family had two sons. These are not the two sons in the story. They're two of my sons. I just liked the picture, thought it was funny, and needed a graphic. So there you go. That was a gift to you. But anyway, um, there were two, this family, they had two sons. One was always, always a pessimist, and the other was always, always an optimist. They were, and they decided this one Christmas they were going to cure both of them. This is not a story about good parenting, it's about expectations, so please be patient and give me a break. But anyhow, here's what happened. They went to the pessimistic son and they said, hey, this Christmas, what do you want? You could have anything else, what do you want? And of course he says, well, there's no point in me even saying because I'm not going to get what I want. And they said, no, just try it, just try it. So he says he wants this, he describes in detail this really elaborate train set with all the pieces and all the everything. They're like, okay, cool. They go to the optimist kid and they said, hey, what would you like for Christmas? He goes, oh, whatever you get me will be great. I'm sure I'll love it. It'll be something I need and I'll enjoy it. And they say, yeah, we believe that. We know you. That's cool. Except if you could have anything. He goes, oh, man, what I'd really like is a pony. And they're like, okay, okay, that's really cool. So Christmas morning comes. They walk in. There's a bunch of little presents under the tree. And they said, it's all for the pessimist kid. And he goes, yes. And the, the optimist kid is like, this is awesome because he knows you can't put a pony under a tree, okay? The pessimist kid really dejectedly goes up, starts opening stuff up, because he's pretty sure it's going to be socks and underwear and stuff like that. Every kid's nightmare. You know what I'm talking about. And, and then, then, but he starts opening it, and one by one, he realizes that it's, it's exactly what he asked for, and he just can't even believe it. He's just overwhelmed. And the other kids just get more excited, and they say, well, you, what we've got for you is out in the garage. So they go out to the garage. There's this massive refrigerator box that they'd filled with manure, he jumps on top, he starts ripping paper, he rips it over, sees the manure, dives in and starts digging. And his mom goes, what in the world are you doing? And he goes, do you see how big this box is? Do you see how much manure there is? There's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> Expectations don't always change the outcome completely, as in they don't determine exactly what's going to happen. You can, nobody has that kind of control. But they always change the choices you make. They, they change, your expectations change the steps you take, every step you take along the way. And they do change your attitude about the whole thing, about the outcome, about the process. They change everything. And most of the time, they really do affect the outcome, at least in a very positive way. 
This morning we're wrapping up this series with the idea of expecting. You'll see in a moment if you didn't already know this, and most of you probably do, but expecting, especially expecting Jesus' return, is a huge central part of what it means to be a church, what it means for a gathering to actually be what the scriptures teach us is a church. And one last time using Daniel Strickland's tree analogy, and then I'll give it a break for a while, I promise. We've used it eight times in a row, but I like this. It makes a lot of sense and ties this all together. If expecting were a tree, here's what the roots would be, the deep beliefs that fuel everything else. The roots of that tree would be our authentic hope in Christ's return. What we expect out of our daily life, what we expect out of church, what we expect out of each other, what we expect needs to happen is going to be based one way or another on that he is coming back. The trunk of the tree or the values that come out of that, what, that, what determines a good choice or a bad choice or a wise or foolish choice that come out of that deep truth that Jesus is coming back is all the ways he told us to prepare. A good choice would then be something that he said to do. A bad choice would be something he said not to do. A wise choice would be something that helps you get what he said to do done. A foolish choice would be something that distracts you from getting it done. The branches would be the actual choices we make, the actual actions we take. Pretty much the Great Commission, we'll walk through that one more time this morning as well, but those, those are the choices, these specific choices he told us to do, and the fruit that we can expect, the tangible fruit on the other side, is his actual return and a lot of changes in us along the way. Lots more people coming to Christ. Lots more people getting more like Christ as time goes by. This idea of expecting, I want to make sure before we go any further that you understand, this is not expecting like hitchhiking, going down the road, which is illegal and don't do it by the way, I'm just saying. It's not just putting out your thumb and expecting that somebody will probably give you a ride. This is, this is where you buy a car and you fill it up with gas and you do pre preventative maintenance and you put in the, car, the key and you turn it on and you expect it to work. It's no guarantee, but there's a much better chance that you've got a ride that day. Does this make sense? This is not like me going fishing and doing something, hoping to prepare. This is like Rick Ross or Greg Jones or somebody actually know what they're doing, preparing, getting everything ready, going out to exactly the right spot where that kind of fish live and, the, and, and expecting to catch something. This is getting ready for company. This is getting ready for family to come in on the holidays. You're expecting something and it's a real thing that's coming, but that deeply affects the choices you make as you get ready. That's the kind of expecting we're talking about. And that's why all of these things that we've been talking about are so important. That our gathering should glorify God. That it should build us up and get us closer to Him. That we should be, it should fuel our passion to reach more people, to disciple each other. That is what has to happen as we gather together. Expecting means authentic hope in Christ's return. If you would say that out loud with me for a second. Expecting means authentic hope in Christ's return. We know that Christ is a promise keeper. We know God promised the Messiah for centuries before he came, but then he did come. Jesus said he would die and raise from the dead, and even his own closest followers pretty much gave up for a couple of days when he died, because who can keep that kind of a promise? And yet he did. He's a promise keeper. We know that about him. He's all about transforming us in the now, but he also spoke consistently at saying things like when 
the Son of Man returns. And he straight up promised that he would. John 14, 1 through 4 is one of those. Jesus himself said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. The same guy who wrote that, later on when he was writing a letter to the churches, in 1 John, he wrote this. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. Do you see this? See how this, this, this common theme, there's the expectation that's driving everything, but there's daily choices being made in that direction. There's, there's an expectation Jesus is going to come back, will never be 100% perfect exactly like him till he comes back, and yet daily we're keeping ourselves pure in that hope. We are, we are changing and being transformed deliberately as we go. Colossians, Paul writes this, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Once again, that's why we're walking back through these basics over, over and over, and here's why. We've got to make sure that we are making those kind of choices. We've got to make sure that we make them so consistently that people just expect this to happen. All of these things. They expect our gathering to be the kind of gathering that gets this stuff done. They expect leaders to lead and lead them in the directions God has told them to lead them to. They expect to be discipled. They expect to disciple other people. They expect worship to shift your spirit every single time in the direction of God as you celebrate his truths. They expect to give as an act of worship, not just as an act of duty, but as an act of investing in the kingdom of God. They expect, they come expecting to give, excited to give because it's, it's part of what they do. They come expecting suffering. Nobody gets excited about that, but you know it's coming and you get ready and you endure. And some of it is, 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 is intentional. The kind of suffering like self-discipline, like working out early in the morning. Some of it is, I'm going to get this job done. I don't care how much it hurts, how much it exhausts me, how much it's discouraging sometime. I will get this done. And you, you expect, you expect that to happen. You expect it in yourself. You expect it in your friends, in your family. You expect it in your church. You expect it because that's what we do. And you expect to grow. You don't just show up and go, oh, probably some of my friends will be there today. I hope so. You expect to see more and more people all the time. You expect that you're doing your part to reach new people. Not stealing people from other churches, actually reaching new people and bringing them to God. You expect that to happen. It's not, it's not like, wow, where'd all these people come from? It's like, of course, that's what we do. 
That's what it means to be an authentic church. That's what it means to live in expectation, to live expecting the return of Jesus. Because he left us with all these things to do as he goes to prepare a place for us. And he's going to come back and we're going to be accountable to getting this stuff done. One more quick idea about worship. Um, This is uh, not another UT joke. Um, This is uh, something I actually think they do very well. No matter how the team is doing, they do a wonderful job. If you ever go to Nayland Stadium and see a game, here's what you're going to see. Everything, everything, the colors, the music, the food, the chants, everything is designed to celebrate UT football and to draw you into that. And what, what most people experience is even if you don't care about football, you don't care about UT, by the end of that day, you're, you're kind of excited. You're in it. There's something that has shifted inside of you because everything that they did, they have done everything humanly possible to lead you there. And, and no matter how much you love UT or how much you love football or anything, I'm not even trying to talk about the value of this. I just hope you see this point. I believe that what we do here is so much more important than that. It's so important that everything we do takes us in in those directions. That every single thing that we do is doing everything humanly possible to take people the directions God's called us to do. And then we're expecting God himself to show up and do the rest. It means doing everything you need to do. Working as hard as you can. Praying and working together and getting the right people in the right spots. But it also means... Seeking the help of the Holy Spirit every step along the way. That's why our worship is designed the way it is. Why everything is worked around the themes that we're learning together. Why we're harmonizing with the kids and and the teenagers and everything that they're learning. Why all of this is going one big direction. Because we believe God wants us to get this job done. We're doing everything we can think of to make that happen. This may seem like a weird um, thing to throw into the middle of something that's talking about Jesus' return, but I think it'll make sense. In 2 Kings, there's a story about a man named Naaman. Naaman was actually the champion of some of Israel's enemies, and he was really respected, really rich. He was, he was famous. He, was, he had a whole lot of great things going for him, but he also had leprosy. And in those days, that was a death sentence, and it was also something that would get you kicked out of almost any society or a little circle you were in. He had a slave girl. She was actually a Jewish girl that he had captured in Israel. Uh, uh, We assume, we know she was a Jewish girl. And and here's what's amazing. She decides to help him. She tells him about the prophet Elisha and says that she believes that Elisha, through God's power, could maybe heal him of his leprosy. It's a long story. It goes through several more steps. But where it gets down to is when he gets to Elisha, Elisha tells him that the way God wants to heal him is he has to dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. And like most people react when God tells you something that you don't understand, you don't agree with, doesn't sound like the other things that make sense to you. The, the tree of your deepest beliefs and your values that grow out of that, it, it kind of clashes with the tree of what he's trying to tell you. It makes no sense. Naaman just leaves. He says, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. But then some really, really wise people in his army talked to him and they said, sir, if he would have told you to do anything really big, really amazing, wouldn't you have done it? And he said, oh, of course, absolutely. He said, he asked you to do something pretty simple. Don't you think it's worth at least trying? 
So he goes back with a completely different attitude, a completely different set of expectations. Instead of going and expecting to wow his way into Elisha's presence and buy his way into God's good gracious, he goes humbly and he says, okay, let's see. Let's see what your God does. I'll do my part. Let's see what he does. He goes down once, twice. He gets to the sixth time, nothing's happened. The Bible tells us when he goes down the seventh time and he comes back up, his skin was brand new like a baby's skin. Completely healed. Completely restored. Why? Well, God used a lot of tools. He used that little girl. He used Elisha. He used the Jordan River. He used those wise guys in his army. But they were just means to an end. God's power showed up because Naaman acted expectantly. He obeyed. He said, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see if this works. I'm going to try. I'm going to, I'm going to try. And he did his best and God did the rest. And it happened. That's why we've got to have that attitude in the things that Jesus has told us to do. Say this, this point with me as well, if you would say it out loud. We must prepare the ways Jesus told us to prepare. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to do? Say it with me. We must fulfill the Great Commission. I'm not sure how this happens in our hearts. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging myself or any other Christians. But this happens way too often in God's global kingdom. We have this idea that we can follow Jesus but not obey his commands at the same time. We can call him Lord, but not obey him at the same time. We can call him Lord, but keep doing the things he says not to. We can call him Lord, but not do the things he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, do this. And I'm here just to remind you and to remind myself that, that that's impossible. That's an oxymoron. You can't say, Lord, no. It doesn't work. So let me ask you this. These questions are actually in the bulletin insert today, and I'd love, even if you don't have time to wrestle with it today, that you take it home and wrestle with all these scriptures and all these ideas and really do this. But I'd love for you to answer these, these five questions here. Where are you going? I think we all know we're supposed to go. We're supposed to be trying to reach people. But where are you going? This is not an option. Who are you trying to reach? Who are you praying daily that God will help you to reach? Who are you asking? Or what, are, what are the opportunities you're asking God for? What opportunities are you taking when he gives them to you? Where are you going? And whom are you discipling? This is not an option. Jesus didn't say, hey, here's a good idea. He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore do these things. One of those is make disciples. What disciples are you making? Who are you discipling? And who's discipling you? Because this is an ongoing process. How are you in accountability? How are you getting this done? We should be expecting every one of these from every single person who calls himself a Christian every single day, every single week, every single year, all the time. This is what it means to follow Jesus. 
Who are you baptizing? Have you baptized anybody recently? Or have you brought them here and somebody else did? Or maybe some of you, you've been following Jesus and you, you have a connection with Jesus and you love Jesus and you want to love and, and you, you really, you're really following him, but at some, for some reason, you've never done this thing that he commanded you to do. All I know to tell you is anything Jesus tells you to do, you should do. If you've never been baptized and you really want to be a Christ follower, I invite you to get baptized this morning. Let's get this done. We're ready to go. The water's hot. Who are you teaching? And how are you teaching them to obey? These are things Jesus told every single one of us to do. And we should be expecting that out of ourselves, expecting that out of our church, and expecting it out of each other, expecting it in our families. There are gifts in all these. Don't misunderstand me. There are gifts. There are second levels. There are people who are supposed to be teachers. There are people who are supposed to be goers, like full-time missionaries that go to all kinds of other places. There are people who are called to specifically do these things on a whole nother level. But this is everybody. This is all of us. On one way or another, these are things we should not be asking, should I? Does this apply for, to me? But we should be expecting, i got to figure out how to get this done. Jesus said this in Matthew 24. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. He's waiting on us to get this job done. Would you say this one with me one more time? We must expect and work for tangible results. Craig Rochelle says we choose our pain. We talked about the other day. Let me tell you something. When you embrace this vision, when your whole life is all about trying to get this stuff done. Let me tell you something, it hurts. Some of you, most of you, I think, already know exactly what I'm talking about. It hurts. It hurts. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of patience. It's a lot of other things. When you fail, when you fail because you didn't get it, the job done well or you did your best and it still wasn't good enough and it didn't work, it hurts. But you know what hurts even worse? The pain of regret. The pain of knowing that you didn't even try. And when Jesus does come back, that's going to be the absolute worst thing for all of us. James Stockdale said this, I shared it a couple weeks ago. He says, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. In other words... The faith, the expectation should drive what you're doing, but you've got to be acting on it right now. I'm going to put some words up here. This is an extended passage from Hebrews. I'm skipping a couple verses. We're going to start wrapping up in a few moments. I hope you read this whole passage and all of these that I'm referencing here later on your own and let God kind of speak to you there. But if you would, just listen to these words straight out of God's word. And let it sink in and say what it needs to say to each one of you. I'll do the same. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation. 
of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God, who have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, who have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. And then you will receive all that he promised. I'd like you to say this last verse with me. And I hope you mean it with all your heart. I do. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Let's try that one more time. Even, even bolder, even, even braver. Let's say it. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. This idea of faithfulness in anticipation of someone coming back. Faithfulness in investing, faithfulness in planting, in sowing, in expecting growth to happen. Faithfulness in doing what your gifts allow you to do in anticipation of your master's return. These are themes that are all throughout almost all of Jesus' parables. In one way or another, you see these ideas happening over and over. This passage, actually Caleb read part of it this morning, and then I'm gonna, we're going to really wrap up here with a challenge. But in Luke 9, Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory. And in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Once again, almost all of Jesus' stories, one way or another, had this idea. The parable of the talents. The parable of the sower. The parable of the wicked servant. The parable of the ten virgins and the talents and the sheep and the goats. There's accountability on the other side of all this. He, he, he expects us to do something with the things he gives us. He expects a harvest. He expects something to happen because of what we do. One story that I'll close with, I told you earlier with the story of two sons is just a joke. This one's for real and this is from Jesus. Jesus said once there was a man who had two sons. And he went to the first son, the older son, and he said, hey, I need your help today. And his son said, I'll do it. I'll, I'll come help you today. It's like, great. Goes to his second son, the younger son, and, and he just straight up tells him no. And as, as, as he told him no, the father was kind of sad. I'm sure that was kind of an awkward moment for both of them, but they move on with the day. As the day goes by, the father goes out to work, and the, the son who said he'd come never shows up. It was just words. 
Nothing actually happened. And later on in the day, here, here, comes, here comes the younger son, and he, there's an awkward moment again because he has to kind of say, hey, Dad, I'm sorry, I, that was rude. There, there, there's this moment where he has to admit that he had messed up earlier. But he comes and he works the whole day. So it comes to the end of the day. And so the dad and the younger son who had said, I'm not going to work at all, it, they're high-fiving and, whoo, good job, that, that was fun, that was great, they're coming home. Now is a really big awkward moment because they have to talk to the this, this son who said he'd do it, but he didn't. That's my fear is that's, we're that guy. We can't be that guy. If you realize this morning that you're the younger son that said, hey, I'm not going to. Maybe, you, maybe you've been saying no to God for a really long time. Today is a great time, a great time to have that awkward moment with him right now and get business taken care of right now and then get to work. And if you've been the one who's been saying for a long time, yes, absolutely, I'll do it, I'll do it. And you realize you haven't done it. Today is a great, awesome moment to have that awkward moment where you go, God, I'm sorry, I, I said I'd do it, but I never did. I'm going to now. Please don't wait until Jesus comes back and have that ridiculously terrible, awkward moment with eternal consequences when you have to say, I know what I was supposed to do. I said I'd do it or I said I wouldn't, but I knew, I knew, but I didn't. If you've read any of Jesus' parables, you know how they end for those people. They don't end well. That's not my prayer for you. That's not my hope for you. And it's not God's hope for you. And I invite you to make whatever choice you need to make to make things right with him this morning. I don't care how awkward it feels to come up here to the front. I don't care how awkward it feels to admit that you were wrong or that you admit you need something. I mean, I do. I care about you. But I care about you so much that I'd rather you have that awkward moment right now than when Jesus comes back. And people, he's coming back. Let's stand, let's sing, let's make this commitment to him this morning.